Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 275 of the Bugle, audio newspaper for this unapologetically visual world. I'm Andy Zaltzman, now aged 40. I have lived as long as my parents' three dogs put together. Humans one, animals nil. Uh, Only 25 more years of this shit and I can pack it in. I'm live in Sheffield, city of steel, snooker and um, uh, stuff. And joining me from New York City, USA, the city where angels fear to tread. In common with most cities, Angel's still struggling to adjust to modern urbanisation. It's the Walter Cronkite of weekend comedy, the Stevie Nicks of Saturday nights. It's the human toasting fork skewering the marshmallow of politics over the campfire of comedy until they char and disintegrate at a dangerously flesh-burning temperature. It's John Oliver. Well, happy birthday, Andy. You, people have always called you Three Dog Andy. It's been confusing before. <laughs> At least it now makes mathematical sense. Uh, it's been a strange couple of weeks uh, for me and pretty much anyone else in this country, Andy. Uh, Especially whenever anyone has had to walk past any newsstand of any note, because for some reason I cannot begin to understand. I've been on the cover of Rolling Stone for the past fortnight, and that's (laughs) without being a musician or a terrorist, and I thought that was the only two ways you could get on the front of it in recent times. Uh, It's clearly, um, uh, you know, slightly surprising for me and a truly sad day for Rolling Stone to go from having Jimi Hendrix on your cover having me on it really functions as a dead canary in the coal mine of print journalism. I still can't quite get my head around it. Lots of people have asked, is it exciting? And I guess it definitely would be exciting if I was, say, the lead singer of a rock band in the 1970s. It would be incredible then. It would put the band into the next stratosphere, Andy. You just need to watch the movie Almost Famous to understand that. But as a mid-range comedian in the year 2014, I just don't really know what it means. My guess is nothing. I did get to do... (laughs) Uh, a Rolling Stone uh, photo shoot. And in my head, it was going to be absolutely incredible. I presume that there'd be leather jackets, cigarettes, lots <laughs> of fire, and I'd be sitting on some kind of large motorbike doing a wheelie. Instead, it was just me in a suit in front of a justifiably bamboozled photographer. Uh, <laughs> he had taken some amazing photos of some amazing people in the past, and yet my photo shoot with him ended in much the same way that all my photo shoots seem to end with anyone, and that's with the photographer slowly lowering their camera and saying, I think we got it. And <laughs> that is never a sentiment delivered in triumph, Andy. It's never, hey guys, I think we got it. I think we just made some photographic history here as the room exploded to high fives and tears. No, it's not that. It's always, I think we got it, after a deep but barely audible sigh. It's, it's really just a sense of, look, we may as well just stop at this point for the sake of everyone in this room. At some point, you have to acknowledge that the horse is dead and yet you're still hitting it. <laughs> Well, you might be on the front cover of Rolling Stone magazine, but I think there's going to be an interview with me on page 34 of the Stockton Gazette next week. Boom! In advance of my gig at the Stockton... I don't even know if there is a Stockton Gazette. <laughs> anyway, I am in Stockton on Tees on the uh, on the 18th. Uh, Lytham St Anne's on the 16th, uh, the Lowther, Birmingham, Glee on the 17th, and Brighton on the 19th. All details at satiriesforhire.com. Keep those emails coming in. I've got a record number for my Sheffield gig Tonight, 22 different emails, John. This thing is fully taking off. Albeit that there have only been about 40 people at the first two gigs this week. Um, As always, a section of the Bugle is going straight in the bin. Uh, This week, after the recent spate of controversially leaked stolen photographs of famous people doing things 
they're legally entitled to do. We at the Bugle have managed to acquire, by fair means and or foul, private audio selfies of some of the world's sexiest celebs. We are, you understand, only releasing them because it is in the global public interest. The world has a right to know what these people sound like in the privacy of their own privacy. And if you disagree, you're a f***ing communist. So here goes. Hacked from the personal sound recorders of the famous in various states of undress. Firstly, actress Kim Basinger boiling a kettle for her morning cup of tea whilst wearing pyjamas and a dressing gown. Now pop star Carrie Underwood starting her car on a cold morning whilst wearing a bra and panties underneath her other clothes <laughs> and getting annoyed that there is a 15-foot bronze statue of Dolly Parton in the way. Now it's actress Jennifer Lawrence jousting, totally naked apart from a suit of medieval armour. <laughs> and finally, German Chancellor Angela Merkel secretly recorded testing out a chainsaw before chopping a tree down in bondage kit. want people to hear them do those things. They shouldn't have done those things in the first place. <laughs> Testify, brother. We have a right to know that section in the bin. Top story this week. Ebola is very close to out of controller. Um, <laughs> Ebola, Andy, is, I believe the medical uh, term technically, is uh, a mother of a disease, uh, which is currently both terrifying and killing people up and down West Africa. Uh, so far, here in the US, there has been just one fatality, but that hasn't stopped the media losing their collective minds. If Ebola is contagious, Andy, then reporting on it terribly is truly an airborne disease here. <laughs> Yesterday, CNN had a lower third which read, and I quote, Is Ebola the ISIS of biological agents? Which is a statement so stupid it's hard to even begin to break it down because it falls apart before you even start examining it. Ebola is not the ISIS of anything, Andy. If anything, Ebola is the Ebola of diseases. It is already its own reference point for biological outbreaks. Uh, It infects humans through close contact, uh, as we know, uh, with anyone who is carrying the disease and also through infected animals, including chimpanzees, fruit bats and forest antelope. And look, I'm sick of saying this, Andy, but f*** forest antelope. (laughs) They're nothing but trouble. And I know that every time I say this, people claim it's just blind hatred. They say, oh, look, you can't say that about forest antelope. That's just ignorance. You can't call them stripy little shits with wonky horns or grass-munching four-legged sprinters. You have to stop. And you know what? I did stop for a while, Andy. But guess what? This time I have a reason. And don't get me started on fruit bats, Andy. Don't get me started on those little shits. Chimpanzees. Chimpanzees, however, I've got no problem with. They are innocent victims in this entire mess. <laughs> well, Ebola, uh, of course, founded in the mid-1970s, uh, I believe, by the International Institute for, the, uh, for Viruses, um, combining the lottery elements of the contagious disease with the strong probability of death. So half Tombola, half... 
And concern is now growing that this could spread, John. We've had, uh, it's been uh, an unfolding tragedy of massive proportions in Africa. Thousands of uh, Africans uh, killed, clearly a little bit of a worry. But now a black Liberian man in America has died and it's starting to get to the point where we really have to start thinking about genuinely worrying about it. (laughs) Now in Spain, a white European woman has the disease, we are listening, and as a result of this, her dog has been put down. F***ing hell! Something must now be done! A dog has died, John. An innocent dog has been put down. We weren't fully paying attention while it was just people far out of sight, far out of mind. But now a little doggy has died. What if a British dog gets this disease? Where, John, will this end? Well, that's, that's the point, because while the threat to America may be getting wildly overstated at the moment, the threat to Africa is very much real and current. Uh, the top US medical official, uh, Thomas Frieden, said this week that the Ebola outbreak in West Africa is unlike anything seen since the emergence of HIV, and that a fast global response was needed, or it could become, and I quote, the next AIDS. And that comparison is never presented as a positive, Andy. No one is ever saying, have you heard Iggy Azalea's new album yet? I'm telling you, it's going to be the next AIDS. It is catchy. It is seriously catchy. And it's everywhere. The chances are you're going to get it. You say you're not going to get it, but one day you'll find suddenly you have it. And then you have to learn how to live with it. Catchy stuff from Iggy. Uh, I don't know who you blame for it, but uh, for me, John, this uh, whole outbreak became kind of inevitable when gay marriage was legalised in Britain. (laughs) Uh, Just seemed that it was inevitably one thing led to another. I mean, it might not have been that specific piece of legislation. These things are often driven by government legislation. If it wasn't the gay marriage legislation, it could have been the 2004 Horse Race Betting and Olympic Lottery Act, maybe even the 1971 Wild Creatures and Forest Laws Act. We just don't know how these legislations pan out. Or even the 1822 duties on brimstone act which meant there was less fire and brimstone to go around the world it could be an economic disaster for africa so i mean i guess that's the the silver lining go europe increases our chances of finishing the 21st century still in the top five continents europe europe Uh, and the uh, liberian finance minister amara Kone uh, said that many people have quotes wished ebola away and sadly it turns out that uh, that has not worked Um, maybe we just need to give it a little bit bit of time or just wish harder. So, I mean, if we all come together and we have 7 billion people wishing simultaneously, surely even a hard-hearted, badass virus like Ebola has to listen. Uh, There are some truly incredibly brave medical workers uh, working in West Africa at the moment. What Doctors Without Borders or Medicine Sans Frontieres are doing right now is truly amazing. If aliens landed on Earth, this week and saw what was happening on this planet right now. Their report back home would basically be something on the lines of it seems there are two kinds of human those who work for something called Médecins Sans Frontières and then a bunch of assorted arseholes. <laughs> that pretty much covers it. Bleep blop. Uh, they're not just fighting the disease, they're fighting some incredibly dangerous misconceptions. Villagers in remote settlements are understandably terrified when they turn up in what looks like yellow hazmat suits spraying everything down with chlorine uh, and they've also had to deal with some very dangerous rumours. For instance, 
Healthcare workers in Guinea have reported people believing that the best way not to catch Ebola was to eat raw onions once a day for three days or drink condensed milk daily. And whilst that's certainly a good way to keep romance away, <laughs> Ebola is likely to find a way through that particular digestive wall. But there is actually apparently a genuine rumour about miracle onions in Guinea, which I can only assume was started by an extremely irresponsible local onion salesman. I'm, I'm guessing he's been proposing onions as the solution for basically everything his entire <laughs> life, hoping that one day it will eventually catch on. Oh, are you, are you angry with President Conde? Try eating 14 onions and he'll probably go away. Hey, do you want Guinea? to win the next World Cup. The secret is for the team to eat nothing but onions for the next four years. <laughs> Worried about Ebola? How about some miracle onions? What? Really? You're going with that one? Holy shit! We need more onions! <laughs> well, uh, John, this is a, a classic catastrophe uh, as coined by you on this, uh, mm-hmm. this podcast um, uh, some time ago. And um, I'm sure all you blue buglers have been flocking to buy shares in pharmaceutical firms that specialise in tropical il- illnesses. Rich pickings to be had there. Uh, one uh, report I read said that if Gla- GlaxoSmithKline's pharmaceutical tests go according to plan, the firm and its partners could produce more than 10,000 Ebola vaccines by early next year. Now, John, I am not a mathematician, and I am 110% sure of that, but 10,000 vaccines... That sounds like, in pharmaceutical terms, NFNE, or in layman's terms, nowhere f***ing near enough. Uh, so I hope they, they crank out a few more, if it works. They do, after all, make about £5 billion profits annually. So it, it's, a, it's a massive opportunity, John, for, uh, for profiting from a global catastrophe. Uh, David Miliband, the former British Foreign Secretary, uh, said that the de- disease has now reached a tipping point. And I think there's only one thing for this, John. I think the world needs a new Twitter hashtag to deal with the situation, or this thing could get completely out of control. I don't know if Ebola is itself on Twitter. I think it was briefly, but then shut its account down because it got so much abuse. But the hashtag is possibly our only remaining hope. And Barack Obama said the international response was not moving fast enough, and he said it had to be, quote, like a marathon, but run at the pace of a sprint. In other words, we are going to have to cheat big time and use a... (laughs) load of drugs. (laughs) Yes, there might be something in that. And one of the great problems, and as you've highlighted, the the actions of the the world's uh, volunteer doctors is truly extraordinary. In uh, uh, Liberia, I think they have one doctor to approximately 100,000 people, which is not enough uh, when you have a disease like this. And you compare it with our more prosperous nations when we pop to see the doctor when we have, for example an itchy shirt, or the newspaper makes us feel sad, or we got some of our genitals trapped in the wrong letterbox, or picked up a nasty headache watching the latest on the Ebola outbreak on a 55-inch television. And I'm just hearing that a new computer game has been released, um, Ebola Virus of Doom, in which you play the parts of the Ebola virus, can you build yourself up from a localised disease with small pockets of fatal mayhem into a global pandemic, causing panic and devastation across the planet and possibly beyond? Can you become the first virus to kill something in space? Well, if it's OK for war, it should be OK for illnesses as well. Uh, now, we don't usually do this on the Bugle, but we have to issue a missing person alert. Authorities are increasingly concerned about the whereabouts of a 31-year-old North Korean male now missing for several weeks following years of increasingly confused and erratic behaviour. The man is described as of short stature, above-average girth, sub-1980s coiffuring and an autocratic dress sense, as well as possessing a general aura of I could have you killed with one twitch of my eyebrows but it doesn't make me happy inside. 
known variously as Kim Jong-un, the great successor, the corpulent commie, the dumpy despot, tyrant tubby, comrade wobble chops and big Mickey miserable, the man is reportedly unarmed and extremely dangerous. Please report him to the police. Brazilian election news now. And, uh, well, the first round of the Brazilian presidential elections took place on Sunday. And the result was that there will be a two-way runoff now on October the 26th. Winner takes all. And if by all you mean the presidency of Brazil for the next four years. Uh, Brazil is a big f***ing deal, both politically and physically. Uh, It's the world's fifth largest country, uh, both by geographical area and with its population of 200 million people. (laughs) Uh, The election has been spectacularly dramatic. For a start, Brazil has compulsory voting, uh, leading to many, I believe they're called, voto cacarejo candidates, joke candidates, uh, on which Brazil's uh, Brazilians can waste their vote. But at the top of the ticket, it was supposed to be a two-way race between uh, President Dilma Rousseff and Eduardo Campos, uh, the former governor of Pernambuco. However, uh, he was apparently tragically killed in a plane crash in August, so was replaced by his running mate, Marina Silva. And uh, Dilma Rousseff has struggled in recent months. Not only is the economy sluggish, uh, there's also an oil scandal hanging over her head. And perhaps more importantly, let's not forget, she was also in office when Brazil were beaten 7-1 by Germany (laughs) in the World Cup, Andy. And you might think, well, that has nothing to do with her. But does it have nothing to do with her? I mean, what did she really do to stop that from happening, Andy? At 5-1 down, she just... Sat there. She didn't start warming up on the sideline and demand to be put into the game. That's what a real leader would have done, Andy. If Queen Victoria had been in the stands when England were getting thrashed by Germany four years ago, she'd have been running onto the field and just kicking lumps out of people. Why? Because she wouldn't have taken that shit. How that go? Well, they well, I think conceded five goals in uh, what about 25 minutes yeah. it was like watching uh, a man lose both arms both legs and his penis in five consecutive attempts to recover a digital watch from the mouth of a crocodile <laughs> So, however, though, Dilma Rousseff still has an impressive backstory. She joined a guerrilla group as a young woman and was eventually captured, imprisoned and reportedly tortured by the Brazilian government. That's a pretty tough, folksy backstory to beat. However, try this for size. Her opponent, Marina Silva, was raised impoverished in the rainforest, one of 11 children, was orphaned at 16 and taken in by a nunnery where she became the first person in her family to learn to read and write. She also survived five bouts of malaria as well as hepatitis and metal poisoning. Oh! <laughs> Holy shit, Andy. That really destroys the whole I was the son of a turkey farmer bullshit tradition. She had metal poisoning. She (laughs) fought metal, Andy, and she won. (laughs) She's not so much a politician as a fucking X-man. However, she came in a surprising third place after being uh, attacked for backtracking on support for same-sex marriage and not having enough experience for the job, all of which is a bit depressing for Brazil, which now has to choose between candidates from the same two large parties They always have. Now, people seem anxious to have something other than the status quo in Brazil, despite the fact uh, that's exactly what they're going to get. One of the more incredible protest banners in the run-up to this election and in the run-up to the World Cup was teachers are more important than footballers. And the amazing thing was, Andy, that that wasn't a joke. (coughs) They weren't joking. And it also wasn't referring to teachers who could teach football better. (laughs) <laughs> Both of which would have made much more sense in Brazil. But no, they're, they're actually coming to some kind of sense. There's a shortage of around 300,000 primary school teachers in Brazil uh, at the moment, which clearly is something that someone should do something about. But 
probably won't. Um, and we're now into, I guess, two weeks. Two weeks of uh, exhaustive campaigning. Uh, Dilma Rousseff apparently recently rasped at a press conference that she would not be answering any questions imminently as she was losing her voice. So I don't know if she's just taking a dive. There. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if she is actually losing her voice or she's just, I can't even, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> Just vote, vote for me or don't. What do you want me to say? <laughs> well, we've got an election coming up here as well in uh, in a few months. Next May, uh, it's general uh, election time. And uh, last night, as we record, um, uh, the UK Independence Party got its first MP in a by-election caused by Douglas Carswell, the former Conservative MP, resigning from the Tory party and joining joining UKIP, the uh, lunatic fringe party that has mutated, mutated with alarming rapidity into a lunatic mainstream party. And he absolutely waltzed to victory, in which was a victory uh, not only for UKIP, but also for the death of British democracy. Uh, David Cameron had warned in his conference speech uh, last week that a vote for UKIP in the election next year will be, in effect, a vote for Labour, by which what he meant is our first-past-the-post electoral system does not f***ing work. This is a significant problem for the Conservatives and indeed for all other major parties. And um, Ed Miliband, the Labour leader, is a significant weakness for Labour. He delivered what was widely regarded as one of the most incompetent conference speeches by a leader in the run-up to an election in British history. He is about as convincing as a political leader as Lance Armstrong playing Jesus in a nativity play. <laughs> and aside from the obvious drug cheating, he just spends the whole place cycling everywhere. And he managed to forget bits of his speech, such as addressing the problem of the national uh, national deficit and anything to do with economics. And um, because he did it unscripted, he did it without notes, uh, but how this is just not a relevant skill to have. If you are a Prime Minister banging on for an hour without notes, you are doing your job wrong. So um, Miliband is very much coming across at the moment as like a shit fist in a toilet paper glove. <laughs> Syria news now, and um, this was an article uh, I was sent by a, uh, a Bugle listener. Um, it's from the um, German newspaper Der Spiegel, uh, which um, so I was looking at their website um, because I'm a forgiving guy and it was ages ago. And it was an article uh, about... <laughs> pronounce, uh, pronounce it properly, Andy. It's not... I don't know what Der Spiegel is. I don't know what that is. Der, der Spiegel. I, I do know what... Der Spiegel! <laughs> der Spiegel! I, I, know, I know what that is. That's a German newspaper. <laughs> Beautiful language. The article entitled, Can the Islamists Be Stopped? And uh, it gave a little insight into the kind of people that we are finding ourselves uh, rather uncomfortably pitted against. Um... In Raqqa, in Syria, um, all women in the city are required to wear the niqab veil. Hair salons are required to black out pictures of women on the packaging for hair dye solutions and opponents are publicly crucified. And, at livestock markets, the hindquarters of goats and sheep must be covered in order to prevent men from viewing their genitalia and having, quotes, uncomely thoughts. Oh, my God. Now... John, I'm not going to tell Islamic State how to run their franchise. I've never really run a, run a business, and uh, you know they can they can do what they want. But I just don't understand the logical step that took them from death to the West and we hate women to we must cover up the hindquarters of goats and sheep. And I also can't understand how at no point when they were discussing this and whether to implement this rule, no one piped up and said. Do you think if we just let men see a tiny, 
tiny bit more of women, they might not be quite so keen on f***ing goats. Now, I'm not a sexologist, but that surely had to be worth a go. Previous rules, they've also imposed bans on the sales of cucumbers at markets because, similarly, they could encourage prurient thoughts. Now, I don't know about you, John, or I don't know about any bugle buglers listening to this. I don't know if anyone been in a supermarket or at a grocery store and seen a cucumber out the corner of their eye and thought to themselves, I really must try penis. <laughs> Preferably 15-inch long, dark green penis that wilts when it reaches body temperature. <laughs> that is the penis for me. It is very hard to fight against this kind of logic, John. Very hard indeed. Charity news now, and... Um, well, uh, following on from the Ice Bucket Challenge, a police have appealed for calm around the world after 12 celebrities were seriously injured in the Human Cannonball Challenge, firing themselves out of cannons to raise money for the Mitt Romney Memorial Goldfish Sanctuary. The craze started after 83-year-old actor Robert Duval fired himself out of a specially configured howitzer while screaming, Save those goldfish, they don't deserve to die. As he was hoisted down from a tree and bundled into an ambulance, Duval boasted that he'd raised enough money to feed 10 goldfish for 1,000 years each, and then challenged tennis player Anna Ivanovic to be the next to fire herself out of a cannon. The Serbian former world number one Julie did so in between the first and second sets of a match against Poland's Agnieszka Radwanska in last week's Papua New Guinea Open final in Port Moresby. Ivanovic broke a clavicle, two legs and several ribs when she flew into the umpire's chair at around 100 miles an hour after being blasted from an 18th century Flemish siege gun. But nevertheless won the tournament as Radwanska had to default due to being terrified of anything made between the years 1650 and 1904. Romney, the runner-up in the hit 2012 US reality TV show I Want to Rule the World, said Ivanovich's prize money would fund some new sea-themed decorations for one of his fish tanks. After emerging from surgery, Ivanovich passed the challenge to pop star Selena Gomez, who raised $8 billion by being fired out of a World War II naval cannon, cannon through the stained-glass windows of Nantucket Cathedral, an ordeal from which he emerged unharmed and God-fearing. Other celebrities to have taken part now include the former Olympic sprint champion Justin Gatlin, who covered 100 metres in 1.2 seconds thanks to a Soviet-era condensator howitzer before leaping to his feet, shouting, I just broke the world record by more than eight seconds. That counts, doesn't it? I didn't do anything wrong. It's fine. Beat that, Bolt. Beat that. Your emails now, and thanks to all of you, uh, which I think was probably about 90% of our readership, who sent in emails or Twitter comments uh, drawing our attention to someone who uh, daubed a graffiti penis on a £1.5 million supercar. Um, <laughs> which uh, I think might be the logical it, end point of all civilization. It, it's, <laughs> it's slightly unnecessary. That's the only problem I have with it. I think the penis is implied. It's 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 slightly unsubtle to see it, but I, I, it's not a bad thing to happen. Let's <laughs> let's just say that. But so thanks. Uh, we we are now aware of this story, and you no longer need to send in any more emails with links links to the picture, albeit that it is unquestionably a funny picture. Uh, do keep those emails coming in to info at the Bugle Podcast. Dot com. Uh, that's it for this week's Bugle. Uh, we will have a sub-Bugle next week and then hopefully be back in two weeks' time with Bugle 276. Until then, from New York stroke Sheffield, goodbye. Bye! Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. 
Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now.